You're listening to WNHHLP, 103.5 FM New Haven, streaming live at www.newhavenindependent.org and broadcasting live from our offices on Elm Street. This is another episode of The Show with Michelle Turner. Happy New Year, everyone. Good morning. This is The Show on WNHH, 103.5 FM LP. And my name is Michelle Turner, and I have the good fortune of being the host of the show almost a year and a half now. It is a little weird to see time fly by. On the phone with me this morning is a very special guest. Uh, Just turning 20 years old, Mia Reed is a graduate of Co-op High School, the Foot School, and in her second year, at Leslie University, and I am welcoming her as a guest to the show for the very first time. Good morning, Mia. Morning. So glad that you could make it today. Thank you for having me. This is this is very special, and I'll explain that to the audience at the very end. <laughs> I I I wanted to have you on because so many people have said to me, "Well, millennials." And specifically, black millennials, what do they feel is their place in the world? And and how are they surviving? You and I had a conversation just a few hours ago, actually, about the presidents and how Bush was the first president for you. And I didn't realize that. I thought it was Barack Obama. No, no, definitely not Barack Obama. I think that Barack Obama was the first one that we all remember having, like, because he had a very important campaign. Mm -hmm. I think it was pretty historical. So that's really the first one that we remember. But we were all very small children when Bush versus Gore happened. So I think I think that um, Obama was the first one that we really remember like, you know, having such a historic election. And tell me, tell the audience, what is it that you remembered about the Bush presidency? Because I was like, huh, not that I've forgotten, (laughs) but it was kind of outstanding to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as I said in the conversation we had before, it really depends on the person in my age group that you talk to and how much they remember. But personally, I remember being in about, I don't know, first or second grade, I think. Mm -hmm. And talking about it with my friends, we were all kind of reminiscing about it. And we all concluded that there was a lot going on that we didn't really understand, mm-hmm. but a lot of our parents being mad. Some people remember waking up with their parents shouting at the TV. Some people wait, remember waking up and saying, oh, Bush is president. And we were all kind of like, oh, that's unfortunate. But we didn't really know why. We kind of just went along with what our parents had told us. So, And you're a child of 9-11. Yes. And, and how did that affect you? What do you remember about that? That is another memory of mine that's pretty vague. But what I, again, it's something that at the time it was happening, I didn't understand what was going on. But I think the fact that, um, of, you know, growing up in Connecticut, that had a specific impact because we were so close to New York Mm -hmm. and where everything had happened. And for me, what I remember is watching TV 
and seeing explosions Mm -hmm. just repeatedly over and over. And they kept showing these faces on television. And I kept thinking to myself, why are they showing this over and over again? Who are these people? And, um, you know, again, it's a very, it's a very vague memory, but I do remember it, you know, being effective and shaking up a lot of people. If I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure I was picked up from preschool early that day. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that a lot of people shared their memories of their parents um, coming to get them, people not going to school, people who had plans to actually go to the Twin Towers that had been, you know, evidently canceled. And, you know, just a whole lot of confusion. I think that was um, interesting because it was really a turning point, especially for things like airport security. Mm-hmm. Because as a child, there wasn't really a lot of traveling, but it was more like seeing it's it's seeing how things have changed in the sense where I can watch a TV show from the nineties and you can see how easy it was to go through airports and how much of, um, how, how, like how simple it was mm-hmm. versus now when everything's pretty uptight and high tech. And so it's definitely interesting to be at the age that I am for it because there really was again, a big turning point. So, so, you know, Let's talk a little bit about you being African American. Yes. And and being a millennial. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes you've had some very interesting viewpoints in regard yes. to you know people's approaches and racism and sexism, misogyny. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about that. So yeah. how do you I mean Because it seems that your generation, first of all, you know, Mm -hmm. your memory is that you've had an African-American president. Yes. And so for you, it doesn't look the same as it does for me. Like I, you know, I think people who are my age and over were very Mm -hmm. excited and very, you know, it, it was a historic moment and putting our children and our nieces and nephews in front of television and saying, look, this is a black man who is the president of the United States. And you guys are sort of like, okay. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that we were kind of, you know, nonchalant about it or not as excited, but to us, it was more of a whole, we at the time, you know, I, I could say that my opinion has changed a bit now, but at the time we were kind of still at the age where we thought, you know, racism was well over and we were kind of living in this post-racial America already. And so we were more of the people to think, oh, this is so cool that it's finally happening, Mm -hmm. but we wouldn't see it as more like the reasoning behind it Mm -hmm. and saying that like, you wouldn't think that in the time that we were living in, people would still have a problem with having a black man as president. Mm -hmm. So for me, what I thought was, Oh, this is just something that hasn't happened yet. I didn't see myself as living in a world where even in the most recent years at the time, or really even now, if you look at it, that people would have a problem with it because, you know, when we're young, we're taught that that is all over and we're all equal and we accept that now, but you know, That's probably why. So do you think you were sold a bill of goods? How did you buy into this post-racism era? 
or the idea of it because Obama was president? No, more like the, well, pre-Obama in mm-hmm. thinking that we were living in a, you know, really kind of post-racial society, whatever you want to call it, is really based on what they teach us in school. You know, we get the whole generic thing of Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, we tell them all of that, and that's it. And, like, that was the only thing that ever happened. Mm-hmm. And it's not really looked in more than that mm-hmm. i mean sure, it's not examined thoroughly you'll, you'll you have, think you'll have you'll have king day you'll read about how rosa Parks didn't get up you'll you know learn a thing or two here and there maybe maybe they'll touch on the color the color water fountains but that's about it so mm-hmm. when you look around and see people don't have well they shouldn't be having segregated water fountains and you know people are allowed to sit where they want and et cetera. Mm-hmm. When you're a kid, you're going to think, oh, that's what racism is. And the fact that that's not happening means that it doesn't exist anymore. That's what you're going to think. Okay. However, I was in, I was in sixth grade when president Obama was first elected. So I do know I was a bit <laughs> not, well, you know, not wiser, but mm-hmm. I was a bit more a little older yeah, a bit more informed than I was versus obviously something like kindergarten when right. you're first taught about all of that. So I was a little um, more in tune with um, how racism could really rear its ugly head, especially being a young black girl. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, again, you still think, wow, I didn't realize that people could still have such an issue like this. So, so you thought it was more isolated. What do you mean by isolated? Like it happened every now and then you might run across someone who is, you know, has an issue with you being an African-American as opposed to institutions. Yes. Yes. Like I thought that, you know, every now and then you would run into um, a racist person with extreme prejudice, but I thought the overall majority opinion like 90 percent and above everyone was on the same page and did not think that way Mm -hmm. that's how i saw it Mm -hmm. so what are your thoughts now now that we're post obama that we have a lot of work to do still (laughs) Mm. that's my first thought for sure i do believe that um in all actuality Mm -hmm. with the current president-elect all this is done. I'm not saying that progress has been erased or will be erased, but it's kind of eye-opening to see what else needs to be done. Or no, not even so much that what else needs to be done, but rather the fact that it's not a time to give up on what has already been fought for and what can continue to be fought for. It's not a time to be scared or to really um, back down. That's what I want to say. It's not a time to back down. It's perfectly natural to be scared because it's can be a pretty terrifying thing in regards to race. Um, the hate crimes immediately that went up post-election were horrifying to see. But I feel when like... When you say went this, up, this, what are you talking this, about? Hate crimes? Yeah. Like, uh, what did you... When you say they went up, are you saying statistically? Or are you no, saying... I mean, I mean, I mean, because I mean, hate crimes directly related to the president, the presidential nominee mm-hmm. were 
immediate. I remember waking up the next day and already reading about harassment that many people had faced Mm -hmm. based on um, their race or their gender and um, what people uh, threats that were being made. And um, it just what this all this did really for me was remind me that no racism obviously has not gone away for me it was Mm -hmm. more like these people have always existed this kind of gave them more of an outlet Mm -hmm. to kind of come out of the woodworks more than anything so you're a millennial yes what does that mean like (sighs) you know okay so you watch cosby reruns you watch everybody hates chris reruns (laughs) your cartoons i mean i mean Everybody Hates Chris was on (laughs) (laughs) when I was just a bit younger, but it was Mm -hmm. on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you, you, you have all the animated shows and that's a Raven and Mm -hmm. Hey Arnold and all of that. Yes. And, but what makes you different? What makes a millennial different? I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about being born at such a turning point in the world. Like people like to talk a lot about how my generation was kind of the last one to grow up without the next wave of technology Mm -hmm. that came after. Like there, we still had disposable cameras on the video. We had legitimate toys rather than um, games on apps and things like that yeah yeah. and at the same time it's interesting because i hate speaking that way because to me i don't see the problem (laughs) in those kinds of things when it's like why don't you see that being a problem because i think that when kids are playing educational games on apps it is the same as the educational games that i was playing as a child they're just technology based Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's just everyone moving forward with progression in time rather than us being glued to technology or what some people like to make a judgment off of but i feel like what makes us different is the fact that we get to experience a bit of both worlds of that we saw really the world before technology came to such an advancement like really the last the last bit of that Mm -hmm. but we also were the first to experience it too and i feel like we were born at such an interesting time as well as you know fashion trends tv shows Mm -hmm. the way things kind of began to alter you know um you know just i don't know (laughs) feminism all of that like i really feel like we were born at a, a turning point and that's what makes us different the fact that we were born at a time where new ideas were all around. Mm -hmm. So we've got a bit of the old and new, and I feel like that plays a big part in who we are as far as how we view things and how our opinions are formed and being the first of many to do a lot of new big things has really influenced us. And I think in all honesty, that can tend to scare older generations because, you know, oftentimes millennials will get called selfish or that we're ruining certain markets or that we're doing a B and C wrong, but we're not doing anything wrong. We're just doing it differently. Mm. And I think no matter what differences and changes are always going to scare people. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's to be said. I mean, you know, for me, as you well know, it was Afros and bell bottoms 
mm-hmm. you know, that was the big change in how people talked about the way we dressed and mm-hmm. how we wore our hair, but nobody ever thought to talk to us. Yeah. And so I think every, you know, every generation has its, has its turning point, if you will. Yeah. But what is it like to be a black millennial? I think it's been, uh, it's, it's really, there's a lot of ways I could go about this, but the term that keeps coming to my mind is game changer. Mm. I really do think the future is in the hands of black millennials right Why? now. I really, really do. Because for someone like myself who is so invested and involved with social media, there's a lot of things that I discover upon that I realize are, um, really majorly influenced by black youth and like take um take vine for example Mm -hmm. a lot of people who liked to use vine or really helped it get popular were a lot of black kids who were just trying to have fun on online and be themselves and be funny and it really helped that take off Mm -hmm. um of course there's a lot of um there's a lot of african-american vernacular that often gets taken into the mainstream world and unfortunately (laughs) you'll go and see shirts where it's used incorrectly like i don't know this lit this lit shirt is on fleek or something and you're like oh oh goodness but (laughs) thinking in terms (laughs) thinking in terms of origins these are things that came from black youth Mm -hmm. and you know if you look at upcoming ideas and a lot of original creative thoughts again black youth and um black businesses and um i realized a lot of my favorite people who are online in my age are black youth again doing that and really it's a i think it's a new part of the black community if you look at black twitter Mm -hmm. if you go on youtube um again a lot of people i realize that i follow i that I really enjoy content from are people who are in my age range, about 23 or younger, who are just really doing whatever it is they can do to just be themselves. And that really seems to be working. And I think that being a black millennial is a very special thing because I know that a lot of times black kids aren't taken very seriously. They're, there's a lot that the world will hold against them. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is a time where we've found ways to use social media as platforms to show all of our best abilities and what we can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something unlike what we've had before. And that platform allows us to have these voices and opinions and ideas that people would never take the time to even think about on a regular basis. And I think that a lot of, a lot of these people are just absolutely brilliant. And like mm-hmm. I said, that's why I think it's such a game changer the way social media is influenced because a lot of, a lot of people in the black community have been using this as a great, um, just really, and I think that is really going to impact the world as time goes on. Mm-hmm. So if you think that some will argue because you think that, you know, the technological advances have made you different from any other generation and granted that 90% is true. 
But mm-hmm. 10%, you know, African-American youth for almost at least 200 years mm-hmm. have influenced the way that America entertains, sings, dances, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is a new way of doing it, if you will. Yeah. But is that the only thing that makes you different? I mean, it seems also that you can, because you all grew up with the technology, mm-hmm. it makes it seem as if your approach mm-hmm. to politics, to sex, mm-hmm. to music, mm-hmm. to, you know, cultural things and yeah. protests. Mm-hmm. are a lot different because you do things through social media. Yes. And so with social media being so important, mm-hmm. do you think that that blacks have an influence there, that young black people have an influence outside of, of, of black Twitter? Because honestly, when you start to think of protests, mm-hmm. that's how things get started, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that they absolutely have an influence no matter what. And Mm -hmm. as far as, like you said, for generations before and generations to come, there's always been a big influence that black people have had in the mainstream world. And I really just think that that's another way that this is happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's always going to be that 10% of the downfall, no matter what you do, no matter which instance. So I wouldn't really consider it any type of negativity negativity or a problem. I just think that no matter what, there will always be a downside, but I don't think that, um, that's, I'm not, I wouldn't say that, you know, it would be a powerless thing without social media, but I do think that social media has had a big impact for it, sure. It shapes the, it shapes everything differently. Yes, I feel like it gives a new perspective on it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's been a very helpful boost in all of that. I still think that we would be as just as creative, just as smart, just as practical, the same ideas and everything without social media. It would just just be different. Mm -hmm. You'd have to find out about it through other ways. Mm -hmm. It's just quicker at the look of your phone. I mean, if you think about it. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement, it started as a hashtag on Twitter Mm -hmm. and it went global. So there's no doubt in my mind that something like that could still happen without social media. If you think about it, start from one small town and, you know, eventually word travels. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really just a very helpful boost in the way that we are and the way that we think. And you all really, I mean... I keep going back to, okay, yeah, every generation is different. Yeah. But it just seems that you all have put another twist on things through clothes, through the Mm -hmm. way you, you know, have your hair. And even Mm -hmm. in the respect that it seems that more and more that you all have reached out to transgender and I don't want to just say bisexual, but all type of queer folk if you will yes and really kind of befriended that community yes do you see that a lot in your in your day-to-day at your college 
Yes, but I also think that helps because I go to a liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I would definitely say so. And I, um, I think it's a very important issue if you're going to talk about the LGBT community. Um, in the past, that has kind of been ignored in the black community. And I feel like a lot of us have been thinking about, well, in the sense that I think that a lot of us do not have... I'm trying to think of how to put this. I feel that we are a generation that has been more accepting than what we've grown up with Mm -hmm. in the past. And so I feel like with us getting the conversation going and us really trying to make that difference is like the thing that's making it more effective, which is why we care so much about LGBT issues, because they do affect us. They are not non-existent it is not something that will never touch our community it does and it's just as important as any other issue and i think that it's something that needs to continue to be normalized which is why i think um moonlight was such an important movie for everyone to go see because it really does touch on homosexuality in the black community and how black kids are treated and things like that and i think it's another thing to again talk about it's important it's important to be normalized and i think that um we are tired of pretending that these things will never exist that this isn't a problem and we're here to do something about it but now you know how do you how do you get well i it is always said that you can't legislate people's feelings and their values and mm-hmm. uh you know the the right and wrong the the moral the morality mm-hmm. if you will yeah. in things so with the way that you all have taken an approach mm-hmm. is it effective i mean you know because you're on a college campus and that's yeah. sort of a bubble if you will it's not like stepping out into the real world, working every mm-hmm. day with all the other things that you have to do to kind of survive and make a mm-hmm. life. It's yeah. kind of a different type thing. So yeah. I guess my question is, how do you continue to make it normal and accepting? Well, like well, the things I was just talking about don't particularly, don't particularly only taint a Oh my gosh, I can't speak today. I'm sorry. They don't particularly just go with what's going on in my school. I'm talking about in general. Mm -hmm. So the things that I'm touching on here, things that I see not only on my college campus, but really everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's, it's just, it can be, it's something that needs to be talked about. I feel like the simplicity of a conversation makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Like, so you think dialogue is important, but how do absolutely. you, how do you bring that into like the black church? Because I know that you had an incident where you felt as if the Reverend was not being fair yes, to that I specific community. So how do you bring that conversation to the black church? Well, again, I think, for starters, I believe that that would start at home mm-hmm. and then you work your way around it because mm-hmm. when you when you have those conversations that start at home, you are opening the minds of the people you are with. 
And eventually that gets the conversation started in your own community. Mm-hmm. And if enough people will really be willing to listen and talk and not just close their minds and look the other way, that'll get the whole community going and saying, this is a problem. We, we need not to be this way. We should really start to really think about this. And instead of continuing to ignore this or think that this is okay, it really starts again with just how you are taught certain things and what you're willing to learn. I mean, no, for example, no one, no child comes into this world as a born racist. They Mm -hmm. learn it from the environment that they're in that has them grow up that way. Mm -hmm. No one is born into this world as an unaccepting human being. And they're, Everyone knows what they know because of where they are surrounded. Mm -hmm. And I feel that if the community begins to change around upcoming people, then their ideologies will be formed for the better in the sense that they'll learn that, oh, this way of treating people isn't okay. Mm -hmm. Or this is not something that's bothersome because if you really think about it, kids aren't going to think twice about certain things. Um, The whole, how am I supposed to explain this to my child argument? um, Really? If you think about it, kids are always going to be curious. They're always going to ask questions. If you just give them a very simple answer, they will say, okay, and keep going until they have another question about what they're having for dinner. It really (laughs) won't take, it won't take much. And if you think about it, the only uncomfortable person in the situation would be the one trying to explain it to them Mm -hmm. because in their mind, there's a lot more going on than what you're telling the child at that moment. Really? Yeah. So it really just starts with a simple explanation of you saying to a child, this is how some people live. This is what it is. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That child will go and think, this is how people live. This is how they live. There is nothing wrong with that. And they're going to go to school and tell the same thing to their friends and so on. And I, and then, and then that's when I think it goes back to the community. And then that's something you would bring into the church. And by spreading a certain type of message, you uh, will eventually get a point across whether it is negative or positive mm-hmm. if that makes sense it does yeah we're going to turn from the lgb community and talk about mm-hmm. voting okay because this was really the first important election for you mm-hmm. to vote and there was a lot of talk about millennials not voting mm-hmm. what's your take on that Well, I'll start off by saying that I will remember this election every day for the rest of my life. This is something I'll be telling my kids and grandkids about where I was, how I was, what it was like for this election. But when it comes to not voting, I have seen very split um, opinions about that. And it has it's definitely been something that's got me pretty riled up Mm -hmm. because as much as I have faith and believe in my generation, I do know that there's a side where not everyone agrees with me or not everyone sees things the way I do. Mm -hmm. In my personal opinion, I feel that a lot of this vote got a lot of like these votes got wasted on third party more than 
the more recent years of third party votes previous Why? to this. Why do you feel that way? Because in the way that this particular election was going to turn out, to me, it was very clear from the get go that a third party vote was not going to do anything. The numbers were not going to be close enough, no matter what you did. So in my eyes, to see someone voting for third party as a protest was not helpful. A waste of a vote? What? A waste of a vote? I mean, I would say so. Mm. Only because looking at the numbers... Mm Mm-hmm. I remember watching and seeing how how much of like certain percentages went to third party like gone to either candidate mm-hmm. and it's like they like those were some numbers that really could have made a difference in certain states that were more important than others mm-hmm. and I think what upsets me more than anything are the ones who will complain about the way the system is set up and the ones who will be mad about this outcome but didn't do anything during the process of the election. Mm-hmm. That's what bothers me. And my stance on it is pretty much that, yes, while I do understand that, you know, we don't have a perfect system when it comes to um, how things are set up, but to protest, like, I just feel like this wasn't the time mm-hmm. to stand against it to me at this point a third party vote in this particular election was the same as not voting and i feel like if you didn't vote there really isn't a reason for you to complain if you were 100 percent able to Mm -hmm. and made the conscious choice to back out of that then it's it's pretty disappointing because this was a very important election i do think this has a toll on a lot of people and It's just, I feel like, again, with those platforms that we do have, I think this is a time for people to open up that conversation, reflect on it, talk about it. I've gotten fights with people about it online. (laughs) I have convinced people otherwise online. I've talked to people. I've tried to hear their reasons. And sometimes it's you have to be more adamant about it and say, this is why this is going to work. This is why it isn't going to work. And not saying it's a thing of I'm right and you're wrong, but rather than deliver the facts of what you know the outcome is going to be and where you're coming from. And I think that, again, it's up to us to continue to talk to each other and get people to really understand, because I do know that a lot of my own opinions over the last eight years have definitely changed thanks to, um, you know, the people who I've began to follow on social media and the people Mm -hmm. who have begun to open these discussions in the first place which is why I think they're so effective because I always speak from my own experience. And so for us to be such a promising generation, but to still have to deal with the issue of people not voting is heartbreaking, if anything. Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned being influenced or following different people and that kind of shaped what you thought in regards to candidates elections votings except voting etc uh-huh but did you really and truly have conversations with folks face to face yes and in those conversations you found that they did not take not necessarily the the idea of voting seriously but 
really voting for one of the two party candidates seriously or it was a form of protest as you said yeah a lot of it really was a form of protest or people i feel underestimating how the election could turn out Mm -hmm. or people who really didn't have much to lose depending on the outcome of Mm -hmm. the candidate Mm -hmm. i think that was a lot of it too Mm -hmm. and Again, with millennials, I think that people tend to, for some reason, believe that we don't talk about these things face to face. So we're not like spending a lot of time, you know, being involved outside of what we're reading on our phones when I think that's not the case Mm -hmm. because we're trying we're we're multitasking if you want to look at it that way. I have friends who are were um who are actually planning their own rally upcoming, which unfortunately I cannot attend. But <laughs> there are <laughs> there are lots of ways that people of my age are still trying to get active and get involved. And I think that's often underestimated. Mm. And the point is, I mean, at the end of the day, you cannot change the mind of everyone but you can still at least figure out how to get people to listen to you. Yeah, absolutely. So as a millennial, yes. How are you feeling about the future? I know that that's probably an atypical question, Mm -hmm. but I think as an African American, Mm -hmm. your, your outlook on the future may be a little bit different from a non African American or a non millennial of color. Mm hmm. So what do you see? How are you feeling about the future? Um, kind of like how I stated earlier that to me just seems like there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, it's a bit terrifying, but at the same time, there's no reason I think to lose hope or a reason to back away. Mm -hmm. I feel that a lot can and will be done but it's going to be a long process. It's going to be a fight and it unfortunately won't be over anytime soon. But I do think that especially as a black millennial, it was terrifying to see an outcome like this because that's where my mind goes. Like in like, in my personal opinion, I remember saying to people before the election that the last thing I wanted to be, was a young black female in college with Donald Trump as my president. Because mm. that terrified me alone. And so now it's a question of you have to kind of, you kind of have to look at this reality in the face, no matter how scary or ugly it may be. And mm-hmm. boy, is it ugly. But you have to think about what that next step is going to be. You have to look and think, okay, now what? Now what do we do? And I think with people like Donald Trump or people like Mike Pence, who still believe in ideas such as conversion therapy and people who are so against women's health care and repealing Obamacare, even though it's done such wonders for people, that's when you have to practice your resilience And I think that I am someone who has always had that resilient tactic about them. 
So now I feel like in my shoes, it would be up to me to continue to use that to the best of my ability. And I think the best of my abilities would be to continue being creative and to continue being who I am and continue being loud and making sure that people hear me and kind of continuing to fight that fight and, you know, walk along and do whatever it is I feel that I can continue to help people continue to look out for one another. And again, just to keep fighting. And I feel like that's what my future will be involved with a lot of that. And I feel like it might be something I might have to work twice as hard as mm-hmm. considering I am black and I am a female, but I feel like it's more of a challenge than a fight, mm-hmm. but it's nothing that I can't handle. I think that's interesting. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Point of disclosure here. Mia Reed, who is a sophomore at Lesley University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, is my one and only daughter, and she will be 20 years old as of tomorrow. So in in doing this interview, I wanted to capture, for my own selfish reasons, a place in time, because to see this kid grow up and to see where her head is is just amazing. And... We've been having these conversations for a really long time. (laughs) We've been having these conversations for a long time. And I was asked by several people, well, how does Mia feel about X, Y, Z? You know, she's a millennial or, you know, she's a black millennial. Like, she's just Mia. But (laughs) I think within the past few years, there have been interesting conversations. And I really wanted to get your thought on different things. Not that I don't, but mm-hmm. I think it was important to have you come on and express what you were saying, feeling, thinking, because I think it gives a lot of people an insight where they may not have one. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you being on Mia Reed. I appreciate you for having me, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Mia has been in and out of radio studios as long as she can remember. So um, it's kind of special to have her on the other side of the mic. And I might get in trouble for having you as a guest, but you really, truly did give some insight. And I'm very appreciative of that. (laughs) So Mia Reed, again, is a graduate of the Foot School Cooperative High School. The, the, The correct title is Cooperative Humanities and Arts. Cooperative Arts and Humanities. Thank you. (laughs) And is a second year student, a sophomore at Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mirid, I thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Because I know that, you know, the other part of this, too, is that you're resting, you're sleeping and eating and watching (laughs) Hey Arnold. Well, thank you for putting all that out there. (laughs) I, I just I know that, you know, your time right now is really kind of personal and precious. So. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you. And I will chat with you shortly. Okay. All right. (laughs) right. This has been the show on 103.5 FMLP, New Haven, Connecticut. Thanks to my Uber producer, Lucy Gelman. She's the best. And we'll see you next Tuesday. And I believe we're going to be talking about sports.
Yes!